0: Our podcast this week It's one small step for pod One giant leap For Damien Chazelle As the director of First Man Pops in Also We get very serious With Paul Greengrass Director of 22 July And yes That's how he pronounces it All that And the usual news And nonsense On the movie podcast That is recording this From the studio That we used to record in For a couple of years Ah Memories
1: Memories (laughs) Like the Please no. now. Corners corners of corners mind. of my mind. Misty watercolored memories.
0: Misty watercolored memories of the when morning. we were.
1: Yeah, I think Barbara's st- sleeping okay.
0: Who's Barbara?
1: Streisand.
0: Oh, I was in the guy from like a Gun Two and a Half. <laughs> <laughs> you know that bit? You know that bit where he's trying to kill Priscilla Presley and then he goes. As she's singing memories and he starts singing along with her. And then he starts belting it out, at which point she becomes aware of his presence. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I am not joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. I'm not even joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. And if you're thinking, hey, is Chris joined by four colleagues of such lethal cunning? Then I've got news for you, pal. Wait a minute. Five colleagues <laughs> of such lethal cunning? No, not even close. Six uh, colleagues. So, so. Is... Okay, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I am joined by just one colleague. Luckily, she has more lethal cunning than all the other colleagues of lethal cunning put together. If you heard a high-pitched squee emanating from the London area at some point this week, that's because... This person discovered that there is an In the Heights movie coming, starring a bloke from Hamilton.
1: I mean, it's very relevant to my interests.
0: Very relevant to your interests, isn't that right, Geek Queen Helen O'Hara? It is. Yes. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. I'm 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 busy. It's the run-up. Well, it's, no, it's oh. just started. The London Film Festival's just started, so there's been a lot of people in town, a lot of screenings on.
0: I don't want to sound ungrateful, but it needs to stop immediately.
1: Well, you sound a little ungrateful, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs>
0: It, it, yeah,
1: but it is. It's always a busy time for a year for us because even if we don't go to the premieres, which we don't because we're not very important, we <laughs> we do. There's a lot of people in town. There's a lot of film screening. There's a lot of stuff happening, and, yeah. and it does make it a, a busy time. But it's, it's great because I've, I've seen a lot of. Extremely good films, not all of which I can talk about. It. You I was get to way, see the films.
0: I don't even get to do that. Uh,
1: the the pre-screening, you know. Oh. Um, and and uh, I, I was in Zurich last week at the Zurich oh. Film Festival. I'm so glamorous. I've never been there before. I've never really done this kind of thing before. But it was uh, extremely... Interesting. Was
0: it Zurichy? How, how was it? It was
1: quite Zurichy. There was um, the the hotel kept giving me um, a Swiss chocolate in my room, which was superb. Those like, bastards! I know. It's like every time I came back to the room, they they'd, they'd been in and left some more chocolate. It was like I could get used to this. Um, also, there were some films. Um, I was on a jury to uh, to judge the sort of emerging Swiss talent, um, which was very exciting. So I got to watch a bunch of Swiss films. Some of which are a bit, I have to say, a little bit downbeat. But we chose one uh, that Phil De Semlin, uh, formerly of this parish, would be proud of. It's a film called Walden, and it's basically wordless, sort of slow-rotating 360-degree shots of a tree in a forest which is cut down, turned into planks, and, spoiler, shipped across the world to be used in another forest. Wow. Yeah, and it, but good. it was it was actually kind of amazing. So yeah, oh, okay. we we'll did that our prize.
0: Zurich. I hear Switzerland's quite expensive.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, hence, I'm working hard this week.
0: <laughs> did I tell you this week? I saw Chris Pine in a lift.
1: Is that his new film?
0: No, um, in an actual lift. Oh, I, see. And I saw Melvin Bragg get in a lift. So I was delayed wow. for this week's podcast because I was on a bus on the way here and the bus got stuck in traffic behind a cab because it was a bloke taking ages to get into a cab. And I looked down from my, cause I like to sit in the top seat yep, so I can absolutely. pretend I'm driving the Correct, bus. yes. And I looked down and lo and behold, Lordy, it was Melvin Bragg. Presumably going to the South Bank.
1: Presumably going to the South Bank. I mean, I feel like you're late every week, so you know, you don't need to provide whoa, an excuse whoa, whoa, anymore. Whoa, okay. let' need it, to make so. it personal.
0: <laughs> okay there's just no need to be rude (laughs) Uh, but the uh, yeah about Chris Pine in a lift I won't say where I won't say where because I don't want to because I believe it's somewhere where he's staying yeah it's the same place
1: we saw him before so we have reason to believe that he is there a lot because he's staying there I I suspect
0: strongly that's where he's staying and uh, he was in uh, he was he was dressed for leisure shall we say right you would have enjoyed it Helen his hair was skewiff it was uh, you know it was right angles to his body gosh yeah you all right? I'm fine. Do you want to take a second? No, it'll
1: just you know keep <laughs> no. me warm through the whole podcast. You're good.
0: You're good. Um, so there you go. Chris Pine in wow. the lift.
1: Mm. Hey, well done, him.
0: That's it. Right. So it's just us this week.
1: Oh. No one, so. else,
0: no one else could be bothered.
1: So James couldn't be here. Meeting. James isn't also here.
0: He's in a meeting. Yeah. Everyone else is either busy or dead.
1: Everyone's? Really? Who, who's dead? Do I want to know? You don't want to know. Oh.
0: Uh, so, just us, just me and you, okay. just chatting away Brilliant. about the films. Great. Should we have a question?
1: Yes, let's do it.
0: Should we do questions, in fact? Because Ooh. I asked today, said, hey, it's just, it's just us. And then uh, people, I said, send us your questions. Uh, and so people sent in some questions and uh, I haven't really had a chance to, to take a look at them so shall <laughs> this we is, um, This is
1: going to be great already I'm, This is good I'm
0: sure. We have 44 replies to my tweet We're not going to do 44 questions but I'm just going to take the, the questions as they are Okay Okay. Well, okay. We'll, we'll race through as many as we possibly can at Chubby Ewok, will Grimsby ever be seen as a comedic genius movie oh, that was overlooked?
1: No, okay. I have to say, so Darren is uh, is a radio DJ. Uh, we have spoken many times. Darren's him, a radio
0: DJ and he wants to know, uh, will Grimsby ever be seen as a comedic genius movie that was and overlooked?
1: It is a running gag between us. I've been on his show a number of times. Okay. He's a lovely man. It's a running gag that uh, I hated Grimsby. And he continues to attempt to persuade me of its merits. Mm-hmm. And I continue... To say that it has none. It has no merits. No merits. And I, that those are strong words for a film featuring mm. Mark Strong, but it has no merits. Yeah. So, sorry, Darren.
0: Does Darren talk like that, by the way?
1: No, Darren no. isn't much. He's not smashy or nicey. No,
0: that's exactly. a shame, isn't it? There is a bit, though, in Grimsby, Helen. No. Where Sasha Baron Cohen meets oh. Annabelle Wallace. She comes to his hotel room. They're in South Africa. Sure. And she's there she's there to seduce him Mm -hmm. he's just done a massive poo right yes and has called for yes and has called for someone to unblock the toilet he thinks that she is there to unblock the toilet and he's an idiot so he's overlooking the fact that she's in the negligee and all sorts of stuff and looking sexy Uh and clearly wants to do the sex with him and he starts describing his turd to her, yes, uh, and, I remember. And, in terms of its dimensions and its length and its its firmness, I wish and I she thinks remember. that he is describing his penis. I understand. And even now, I'm thinking that may be it. That may be the zenith of comedy. It may be all <laughs> downhill from there. Zenith,
1: the zenith of comedy, yeah. as we all know, and I was discussing this with some people last night, is when <laughs> is when Fabia <laughs> went on a roller coaster and in an inaugural <laughs> ride of a roller coaster
0: was only Richards one of these people.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, I thought so. And, and hit a goose. He hit um, a goose.
0: Oh, more more accurately, a goose hit him. The goose hit him. In yeah. fairness,
1: he would not hit a goose on purpose.
0: Yeah. No disrespect to Fabia. Yeah. Do you know? But that's that's a funny bit. That's a funny bit. No. 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 no? Funny bit when they're hiding inside no, an elephant. No, okay. I think no. that I think Grimsby is underrated.
1: We saw it together at the premiere. I remember you liking it, and mm-hmm. I remember hating
0: it. I remember it. us having a discussion afterwards about how many star you were going to give it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've seen it again since I saw it with my wife, Drinking Game, and uh, we we laughed like drains. That's because drains our minds are in the gutter. Laugh. Yeah. Drains do laugh. Drains do laugh at Streatham Horror Story let me just see oh it's Cat Brown Cat Brown asks I would like your recommendations for ludicrously cosy films to watch in October from under a pile of comfortable blankets armed with hot drinks and stew Possibly with miniature gourds arranged on a shelf.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is decorative gourd season, bitches. uh, And I'm quoting McSweeney's there. Do look at it if you've never read it. It's a wonderful piece. Um, Yeah, um, comfortable films are good this time of year. I mean, it's not very cosy in many ways, but it is very seasonal. I would say Mm -hmm. something like Practical Magic. I'm not saying it's a great film, but it is the kind of thing I find myself watching of a cold night... Wrapped up in a blanket. Okay. Um. And uh, And I think it is a little bit underrated. I'm not saying it's massively underrated, but it's a little bit underrated. That film. Um. I quite enjoy it.
0: That's an interesting choice. Mm. I, I I'm gonna uh I'm gonna go down a Sandra Boulevard uh, a Bulaga Boulevard there and go for while you were sleeping, which oh, I think. Oh, but that's
1: a Christmas movie. I think it's a Christmas movie. I mean, it's actually a Christmas movie. I mean, is it no? Though? Yeah, it is. I Literally, mean, is it? it takes place at Christmas.
0: But it's Christmas now, according to the shops. So we might as well just start. <laughs> hunkering down under blankets and just watch Sandra Bullock be the most ridiculously charming that I think she's ever been. Yeah, she's insanely charming. And Bill Pullman with his curtains hair. Oh, and and he's leaning.
1: He he explains leaning. He leans, doesn't he? He leans. I mean, look, Bill Pullman is no Jordan Catalano because we all know that he is the best at leaning. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's still pretty good. (laughs) That's a joke there for like three people who remember my so-called life. But it is still one of the great teen shows, so I stand
0: by it. Okay, I'm going to suggest this is something I've never done at the moment. My wife, uh, Drinking Game, she's legally had to change her name to Drinking Game, by the way, because <laughs> of this podcast. My wife and I, uh, at the moment, the films we're watching, we're not even watching films under blankets. We're watching. We're so behind on our TV. At oh, the there's moment. so much TV. There's so much TV. Better Call Saul just finished uh, season four. It is, in my uh, humble estimation, a masterpiece. Uh, this week's finale did something to Breaking Bad never did in five mm. years brought me to tears. It's wow. a glorious glorious show. Good places back on, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. But we are massively behind a Great British Menu. Uh, I mean, I so don't so you should care. Mm. It's incredible. Mm. Chefs cooking food that you will never eat and <laughs> it is compelling.
1: No, I like a chef program, but like then you'll, you'll love, love Great British no, Menu. No, no, no. If you want comforting, then uh, you watch Ina Garten Barefoot Contessa on the Food Network. That is the absolute pinnacle of just feel-good, cosy TV. She just oh. she just lives in a fabulous house with a fabulous garden and a really cute little husband, and yeah. she just is like, oh, I've got my fabulous friends coming around for lunch, and I'm going to make something fabulous, and then she makes something fabulous, and then she like serves it up and she does some flowers. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> I've lost you. I feel like I've lost you, but that's because you haven't watched Dina Garden yet.
0: She's is it In a Light Garden? In it's, the Nine Garden. No, the
1: show is called Barefoot Contessa.
0: Barefoot Contessa. But you
1: all know right. how I know she's good because Liz Lemon and Thirty Rock worships her as well.
0: Ah, okay, all right. Now it's all coming clear. Uh, I'm going to suggest something I've never done: double <laughs> bill. Right. Paddington and Paddington <gasps> Two.
1: The ultimate coziness. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's just it's just too perfect.
1: It is too perfect. It's not too perfect. It's just perfect enough.
0: Yeah, just the right amount of perfect. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, Jonathan Cardwell, John O'Card. have you ever had a complete 180 on a film? Mine is Alien Covenant, which I kind of really like now. Silly crud up and all.
1: I don't know about a full 180, but at least like a 75 degree turn, probably. Something like that. I remember when I first saw The Nightmare Before Christmas, possibly because I was really hyped about it. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit disappointed. And it's massively grown on me every single time I've seen it since. Um, also The Last Jedi I was kind of you know high three low four when I first saw it and now I love it really yeah I've gone way up on that one
0: yeah that tends to happen with me quite a lot where mm. I'll see a movie and I'll be like oh, this is good this is pretty good and then after the 14th time I've seen Infinity War it's just the greatest oh movie my god, of it's all so time good. <laughs> it's ah. just so good oh my god the bit where Thanos does that thing with oh, the what's the it oh thing with the stuff oh, it's so good uh, but yeah, a lot of films like that I, I was thinking about this this week because um, I was thinking about regrets I've had about Three stars. So we always say in the podcast. Obviously, it's a recommendation, but mm. there are times I've given a film three stars, and I feel maybe it was a little mealy-mouthed, mm. or sometimes I maybe talked myself out of going bigger, or maybe I see the film again and I think, what was I, what was I thinking? So I'm sure i have said this in the podcast before, but Dread gave Dread three stars, uh, what? And that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's Brilliant. Uh, it's easily a five. I would have given... I gave Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, three stars last year because I was the first person to see it and oh, I was kind yeah. of hedging my bets a little bit. But it's brilliant. Yeah. It's great. And I should have given that uh, at least a four. And, you know, just little things like that. I just... Not for 180s. Just, I like them a little more. Mm. And I don't really know about going the other way because...
1: There's probably been some stuff that's gone yeah. the other way. that Because I, I, I tend to sometimes... Um, uh, I think, well, sometimes when you see a film once... It, it's okay and it surprises you and it stands up and there's something surprising in there. So you're kind of, your interest is piqued by that and it kind of keeps you going. And then you go back to it and you're like, what? No.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> but I am, I, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble thinking of a specific example on the spot. So,
0: yeah. Oh, well, what can you do? What can you do? Uh, Graham Wright at GNW626. Catchy name, Graham. Uh, with Helen having a book out, what topics would the, re- hang on a second, what?
1: <laughs> yeah. Wait a I second. Do. It came out last week while I was away. What's it called? Uh,
0: Chris Pine in a <laughs>
1: It's. It, uh, do you know what? I have to double check the name. It's called... Is <laughs> that like bad, isn't
0: it? <laughs> Hi, you Facebooked about it the other day. Let me, let I
1: did, say. I did. Yes, you're right. You're correct. It's Greatest 80s Movies. I think it's the Greatest 80s Here Movies. Here it is.
0: I've got a picture of it right now. It's available in all good and evil bookstores and uh, online as well. The best 80s movies celebrating the decade's greatest films from Aliens to Wall Street. Helen O'Hara is the authoress, the writerette. <laughs> that's, those is that, aren't words. Is that not my word? <laughs> uh, and you can tell it's good because you couldn't remember what it was called. So. <laughs> I thought
1: it was anyway. the greatest 80s movie. It's a very generic title. I argued for something else,
0: but that's Ooh, fine. Oh, pulling back the curtain. Yeah. Uh, big it up, Helen. Tell people why they should part with their hard-earned for this 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 book.
1: So basically, uh, uh, it's, it's 50 uh, best in inverted commas. See, that was my issue with it. 50 best <laughs> 80s movies. For me, it's the 50 most 80s movies. The films that are most of the 80s that most sum up the decade Uh, there's a few personal favourites in there like The Princess Bride and Heathers but basically I tried to kind of get the ones that say 80s so things like Wall Street or Fatal Attraction or obviously the you know Aliens, Predator uh, Indie Goonies Mm -hmm. Gremlins Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters all of those movies that kind of summed up the decade so it's kind of just a Okay, it's just like a nostalgia fest, kind of going back and and talking about those. and And I tried to rewatch them with a bit of a modern eye, and some of them stand up better than you might think, and some of them stand up <laughs> a whole lot worse, <laughs> so much worse. So films
0: you've done a one eighty on, or should I say a one eighties on?
1: Hey, uh, yeah, I guess so. there so were, jazz? there were some that. Um, well, I was. I, Goonies. I, uh, no, Goonies is Goonies is okay. Goonies um, is good
0: enough. Dum, dum,
1: Goonies is good enough. All right. But, you know, some things like, I mean, going back and watching uh, 16 Candles, that's a whole pile of no now. So I left that one out and just put it in Breakfast Club instead. Uh, as my sort of representative John Hughes mm-hmm. there were a few that uh, like Wall Street is much more sexist than I remembered it and I remembered it being pretty sexist I would
0: imagine most movies in the 80s are much more sexist and homophobic and maybe even racist and you remember yeah, them yeah being... I did
1: discuss a little bit of homophobia there's a little bit of transphobia in Crocodile Dundee but oh the, a lot but the joke is actually on him rather than the person so I feel like there's a little yeah, bit of a,
0: but it's still, a distinction to be made there there's still a joke that's only possible because of a transsexual I, I agree so. I know
1: yeah. um and uh yeah, so so tried to kinda of go back and, and discuss some things and, and think about some stuff. And, but also like a lot of it was fun. So going back and watching, you know, Working Girl and calling it work, that's not a bad thing. The Little Mermaid is eighties, you know, got got discussed the sort of Disney revival and that kind of stuff. And then also discussed the films that were great when you were like five or six in the eighties and you were like, Oh my god, there's a My Little Pony movie coming. This is amazing. Mm. I remember pestering my, ki- my, my parents to take me to the cinema and like I had to see the My Little Pony movie. It was a major, major moment in my life. And it's not good. It's, <laughs> I mean, I know this will come as a shock to many of you, but it's not good. Also, Transformers, the movie, is not good. Oh, and it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, so Legitimately so, awful. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to go back and look at the ones that we thought were great yeah. at the time, which have not stood the test.
0: Okay, so where can people buy this book? I said all good and evil news agents, but that's pretty much it. I not don't know, I, news agents, bookstores.
1: Book. I, I don't know if it's in all bookstores. Uh, I uh-huh. think it's not a very big book, obviously. So it's in you know, uh, in the sense of it's not like you know, huge push like millions of copies. Um, so it's in bigger Waterstones that I know of. Um, okay. I don't know if it's everywhere. It is on Amazon, but often the US version will come up first. So is that um, a
0: different
1: version? It's a different cover. I don't know. So I think if you search for a Carlton 80s m- movies or okay. something like that, it'll come up with the UK
0: version. Did you get the American Helena O'Hara to write that, the way there's an American Chris <laughs> uh,
1: No, I, I believe I wrote it, but, you know, we'll okay. see. I haven't read it. I haven't got my own copy yet. I haven't read it, the finished book at all. Really? No. I've got no idea what's in there. It could be anything. Oh, God.
0: Helena's big sales go. Unless you're less quite up there with the best one. But anyway, the question from Graham Wright continu- continued... What topics would the rest of the empire team write their books about? I mean, there's only me and you here. Yeah. Uh, but do you have a? if? Maybe we don't even want to give away ideas on this. But do you have another <laughs> uh, book in you?
1: They've actually asked me to do another one, but it's not set yet, so I can't talk about it. But um, yeah, that, so that might happen. Um, I have some fiction ideas as well, but I haven't actually okay. written them because then, like, I don't give myself a deadline. Everyone else gives me deadlines, and I write for deadlines, so um, I'm mm. quite bad on that. How about you? I feel like if there's a few books that you could write, non-fiction as well as fiction. Really? Yeah. Such as? <laughs> oh, <laughs> ev- Evil Dead, the book.
0: Ah, uh, it's been done.
1: Ah, bugger. It's been done. John Carpenter, the book. It's been done. Damn it.
0: I know, I know. I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure. I've seen, because uh, our good friend and colleague and neighbour, Nick Disemlian, mm. has a book coming out. I think he's announced it, but I can't, I won't say what it is or what it's about, just in case he hasn't. But it's coming out, I think, later on this year, and it's really exciting news. And it's an actual book, uh, not a. It's an nonfiction book. It's yeah. about movies, uh, and I've watched Nick for two years. Just, I mean, really go over it on yeah. this book and really dedicate himself to research and interviews and and writing just all a live long day, and it's incredible and it's amazing. And he's going to be a published author at the end of it. But it's just, fucking hell. It's a lot of work. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it, it it's it, that sort of thing appeals to me. You know, what do I really love enough that there hasn't been a book about that?
1: Marvel Cinematic Universe, the first ten years.
0: Kevin, give me a call.
1: <laughs>
0: you know it. You know it. I'm not sure anyone would publish that because it would it would just be me going.
1: <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes, it's like I'm sorry, Mr. Hewitt. You've uh, you've turned in fifty thousand heart emojis uh, instead of a manuscript.
0: Yeah, You just sent me a picture of Captain America with Mr. Mister Chris America Hewitt written in a bubble next to it. What is that about, anyway? If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast or multiple questions, who knows? You can get in touch by a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or just contact me directly at Chris Hewitt uh, as these people did today. We're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and we're also on email podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for our first guest this week. Uh, Paul Greengrass is one of our favourite directors. Uh, He makes incredible blockbusters like the the Bourne series, the Bourne Supremacy, the Bourne Ultimatum, and Jason Bourne, which came out a couple of years ago. But he started out as a documentarian, and you can see that reflected in the other side of his work as a director, uh, where he explores real-life trauma and real-life crises and real-life conflicts and uh, what makes people tick in the midst of a cauldron. Films like Bloody Sunday, films like United 93, films like Captain Phillips and now films like this week's 22 July, which explores the build up to and aftermath of one of the worst mass killings in the history of the planet. The assault by Anders Breivik on the 22nd of July 2011 in Norway, which left 77 people, most of them teenagers, uh, dead. It's an incredible film. Explores as well, as I said, the the aftermath of that as Norway tried to pull itself together as a country. I went along and spoke to Paul recently and uh, we had uh, he's an incredible guy, very, very smart and he had a lot to say about his movie and the state of the world as it is now and maybe in the future. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the writer and director of 22nd July, Mr. Paul Greengrass. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, mate? I'm very good. Good, good, good. Uh, I've read interviews where you say that this film chose you, that you didn't choose to make this film in a
2: way. So. I think that's always the case with films, really. Yeah. Um, I didn't intend to make it, actually. I, I I. actually started off, I wanted to make a film about the migration crisis, actually. Mm-hmm. A different film? or Yeah, a very different film. And I, I was looking down in Lampedusa, you know, in Italy, and I looked at all the migrant trails across Greece and, you know, the sort of boats that come mm-hmm. over, you know, those journeys from places like Niger and through Libya and then across the sea and into Italy and into Europe, you know. And um, I looked at that and tried to see if I could make it where I thought, I can't, you know, it, I can't, uh, there's no contribution I can really make to this. And also, as I was doing that, I had a sort of eerie feeling that I was in the wrong place and that really, it, for all the potency of the migrant experience itself you know those journeys that families or young men or whatever it is take the issue that more and more came to sort of haunt me was what those population movements and the fear of them because that's not the same the fear of them is not the same as the actuality was doing to our politics in combination with the sort of flatlining economies post 2008 crash and the more I thought about that the more I sort of saw that these are all a function of globalization you know globalization is what's driving the population movements globalization is what gave us the crash of 2008 and these you know in unstable economic insecurity at work mm. and so on so forth mm. and What globalisation is doing is ripping up the framework of the world that I grew up in, you know. And it's opened the door to this huge right-wing populist counter-reaction. And wherever you look, you know, whether it's uh, Hungary or Poland or Germany with the AFD or Sweden with a neo-Nazi party holding the balance of power or Mm. Brexit... Tommy Robinson or Charlottesville or Trump. You know, wherever you look, it's this populist, right-wing, protectionist, nativist, right-wing typhoon that's blowing through the democracies of the West. And uh, that sort of led me to Brevik. In terms of working backwards? Well, because for two reasons, really. Because so much you can find out so many truths about what's going on by looking at how Norway faced Breivik. Because the Mm. film itself is not about the attacks. Yeah, I mean that's only a short section of this film. It's really about what happened afterwards, about how Norway fought for her democracy, Mm. how they went about fighting Breivik and more particularly how they went about fighting Brevik's ideas mm-hmm. um, and that's really our struggle today mm. because you know nobody approves of course of the heinous things that Brevik did you know and it would be wrong to pretend that you know your regular right wing populist in the west approves of Brevik's actions that would be grossly okay. unfair but Brevik's world view, his intellectual framework, his rhetoric, his words, when you look at his testimony in two thousand, early 2012, mm. and, you know, I use a chunk in the film, yeah. Yeah. in 2012 that would have been considered extreme ideology, you know, way off the mainstream, but today that's that would be absolutely yeah. standard right-wing populist rhetoric, you so. know. Not his actions. Yeah, of course. His rhetoric. His rhetoric indeed. And that shows you how these ideas, revolutionary ideas is what they are, that mm. anti-democratic ideas yeah. have moved to the mainstream. You know, oh, the yeah, the sham of democracy, the betrayal of the elites, the you know, the the perils of multiculturalism and so on and so forth. Um, and how Norway battled that rhetoric. Mm. Is that the
0: important part for you that they that, that they battled it? Definitely. But there were there were discussions obviously, and there are many discussions and debates within the film about yeah about what the film's giving Brevik a platform. And of course, also. and that's
2: the issue today. Do you? And it's one of the issues of the film, and I I asked it, you know, more than a few inches. Yeah, you know, are you making the problem worse by giving Brevik a platform? Yeah. That was exactly the debate they had to have, and they came firmly of the view, rightly, I think. That you make the problem worse if you deny the platform. Because mm-hmm. it's out there. There's mm-hmm. a fire burning. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? You, you, you don't close the door on the barn if there's a fire. You've got to put it out. Absolutely. But that, that, that's uh, that what I think.
0: That platform also has to be challenged. Of and I course think that what it does. That absolutely. And, and, is what and, and, in this and film.
2: that, one of the lessons of the film, is that young people went into that court, you know, not much further than you and I are sitting now, and confronted him. And they confronted him, and we only showed two young people, but in truth there were hundreds of young people who went into that court and, and spoke to a different worldview, spoke to different ideals, and beat him. Beat yeah. him morally, beat him emotionally, beat him intellectually. Yeah. And that's what's got to happen if this thing, if this battle of ideas is going to be won, um, because it's assuredly a, an ideological fight that yeah. we're engaged in now. So is that the sort of thing that gives you hope? Because at the moment it, it, Definitely. it can and, and feel and quite a situation. and the reason why at the end of the film there's a caption, you know, about Avilia reading law as he is at the moment, but he's going to go into politics. He intends to go into politics. It's it's It's, it's got to be confronted by people engaging in the process of democracy and building... It, in a way that does not allow this populist protectionist ideology to gain a foothold. Yes, of but it's, it's not going to be won mm. by not listening to those arguments and not defeating them. By yeah. like pretending that... that you fingers they mu- your fingers in ears is not exactly. the idea. Yeah. If the bomb's on fire, you don't know, close the door, as I said. <laughs> You
0: obviously are no stranger to making films about real-life events. Bloody mm-hmm. Sunday in Three, mm-hmm. Captain Phillips. Those are all films that focused very much on the event, and they were very much about mm-hmm. uh, how people reacted in the crucible within mm-hmm. within, uh, within that cauldron, as well, and how character-forming it was. For mm-hmm. say, Captain Phillips in '93, obviously, is a snapshot of a horrible, mm-hmm. horrible moment. This film is different, as you said.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's about what happened afterwards, precisely. The,
2: well, to say it's similar in that it. I mean, I think that. Uh, I always saw it as analogous to United Ninety Three in that I think that United Ninety Three was one force that disrupted our mm-hmm. liberal dem- democratic politics, i.e. Islamist violent mm-hmm. Islamist ideology. And this is the counter-reaction. Of course, mm-hmm. it's been fifteen mm-hmm. years in the brewing, yeah. twenty years in the brewing nearly. You can trace this back almost to yeah. the later. And he thought Brevik thought he was doing nine eleven, you know, from the right. So I had that one in mind. I just wanted it to not. I mean, what would be the point of just making the attacks for me? I mean, I, I'm, you know, to, to me it was about what I found inspiring was how Norway fought for her democracy. That's the story for me. That's the film for me. And you know, I, of course, ninety-three. I think. I don't think I've ever made a nihilistic film. I think all those films, in their way, are, have an inspiring purpose that comes through. I hope so. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. And I think this one's the same, you know. And again, as
0: we, with United 93, you worked very closely with the families mm-hmm. uh, and survivors uh, as mm-hmm. well to tell mm-hmm. their story. Yeah. Tackling Breivik himself, I mean, he, he gets a lot of screen time in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How delicately do you have to tread? He's a figure. Not just around the world, but certainly in Norway, who is refiled.
2: Well, of course, uh, very much so, yeah. Um, Well, I think that uh, I had to explain to the families that I was going to portray him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a... I think that a lot of people, probably most people in Norway, think that he's a narcissist who wants the attention. And he shouldn't be given it, and I understand that. I think that's a perfectly reasonable feeling. I feel strongly myself, and and explain to those families. And in the end, they agreed. Obviously, otherwise they would have not given me permission. Um. That you, what you have to do is explore the why. What what what's the meaning of this event? What what what's it got to tell us today? Mm-hmm. And you can't understand that without understanding. Mm-hmm. because one of the journeys that we're having to go through at the moment is to understand that this extreme right-wing populist nativist protectionist whatever you want to call it rejection of globalization and embrace of authoritarianism and exclusion Mm -hmm. is an ideology it's a, it's, a, it's a set of beliefs that are coherent. Yeah. It's not the ravings of a madman, no. or they are not the opinions of madmen. Lots of people think like that f- for very genuine reasons. They wouldn't go out and do what Brevik did, but they hold that ideology. And it's not because they had bad upbringings. It's an ideology. It's got to be looked at and understood... For what it is, and as the prime as Stoltenberg says in the film, I'm tell him I'm listening to. Yeah. The starting point is you've got to listen, you've got to understand what they're saying, you've got to reflect on what people are saying and why they're saying it before you can start to come up with an answer. And so you have to portray him, and part of the journey of the film is to strip him down so that you, you know, I mean, I made. You know, there's some the sort of exploration of his family background, but that doesn't explain why he did it, and then there's a consideration of whether he's psychotic, but that doesn't explain why he did it, because he's not psychotic. In the end, what you get to is what the film gets to, which is to think of him and see him clearly for what he was and what he said he was, which is a dedicated, coherent, mm-hmm. intelligent, not as intelligent as he thought thinks he is, but he's <laughs> intelligent, yeah. Uh, right-wing extremist and that is a coming force in the politics of the west it already is you can see it disrupting every single democracy in the west is being disrupted by this typhoon of right-wing populism and within that typhoon being incubated is something much much darker and violent and Mm. that's the threat
0: now uh, are you a pessimistic man? You, you no, I'm not. I,
2: I, I'm right. not. And that's why I made the film. Yeah. I think this is going to be the struggle, I think, for the rest of, you know, for, for some decades. Mm. You know, I think that we're engaged in an ideological struggle. I think that, um Yeah, it's interesting. I think that I grew up in a post-war world where my parents and grandparents had lived through the idea and understood that democracy was not a given. They, of course, lived through the thirties where they faced economic crisis, growth of protectionism, growth of populism and nationalism, and it all flew out of control and ended up in world war. And they had to fight, and in many cases, die for democracy, you know? That's the truth of it. That generation built the world after the war which was all designed to constrain nationalism. Not eliminate it, because it's a very positive force too, mm. but hold it under guide ropes that held it down, mm. Mm. You know, both within each democracy in the West, but also across the West with pan-national mm. institutions. And they were all designed to stop this competition between nations getting out of hand. That's the world I was born into and grew yeah. up in. Yeah, yeah. Globalisation is tearing all that framework aside Mm. and it's leading to Mm. this profound reaction. The one hand is the violent Islamist counter-reaction and on the other side you've got this potent right-wing populist reaction. They're all reactions to globalisation and... I think for young people, you know, here in London and across the west, they we're going to have to get used to the idea of ideological struggle. What kind of world do they want to live in? Mm. You know, I think that young people are going to have to get much much more engaged. I mean, just on a tiny level. You know, uh, a lot of young people in this country feel bad about Brexit. Yeah. But, of course, they didn't vote.
0: Mm-hmm. Had
2: they voted in significant numbers, it would yeah. never have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I mean. Pe- pe- I think we're at the very beginning of a process of young people getting engaged in building the world they want to live in. And, again, if you look at Norway, you can see that process. They had to get into that court mm-hmm. and they had to confront Breivik, and they did, with courage, mm-hmm. with extreme articulateness, they had to to decide and win the argument with him in the confines of that court. And so that, to me, although it's Norway then and those people then, it's really us now, honestly. Awesome.
0: Uh, I've just been on Twitter, which is obviously an, an, an echo chamber, but uh, mm-hmm. even there, just seeing discussions, people debating about how they feel let down by both the major parties in this country. And I think lots of young people will feel that way, so... Yeah, those. I,
2: I mean, and that's a sort of easy thing to say. The, mm. the danger is, and I get that, you know. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is that if you look at the 1930s, I read the biography of Clement Attlee recently, a couple of years ago. New biography of Clement Attlee, mm-hmm. you know, leader of the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. You know, who came out of the war and built the NHS mm-hmm. and all the rest of it and I read de Gaulle's biography this summer. Both of those immense figures, one from the Labour Party, one from the right of French politics, Mm -hmm. understood very clearly that in crisis, what was important was to understand that you were on the side of liberal democracy, a liberal democratic way. Now, you could colour that, to the right, as de Gaulle did, or to the left, as Attlee did. But they both understood and fought all their lives to make the broadest possible coalitions in favour of that. Mm. And that, I think, is going to have to be the case over the next 10 or 20 years. I mean, I think we're facing... I mean, it's impossible not to look at Europe. Let's forget America. I mean, America too. (laughs) It's impossible not to be... Unnerved by the potency of these right wing populist forces that have been unleashed and the way that they're, you don't feel they're blowing themselves out anytime soon. You feel they're getting stronger and stronger. How do we combat them? Mm. That's the question. That is the question. And this film is an attempt to go to Norway where they faced. ...in a very particular way, that threat, and watch how they tried to do it. And that's the reason I made the film.
0: Um, Sadly, we don't have a lot of time left, Paul... ...but I I wanted to talk about the fact that this movie is a Netflix film. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that that means a couple of things. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Number one, it means that it will be
2: pretty much everywhere around the world instantaneously. Good. That's good for my Huge appeal for a filmmaker, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm guessing. Um, Also... Insignificant significant numbers of theatres too. It was interesting, when I I wrote it and then we decided to where we were gonna make it and you know, you do a sort of, you know, we had three or four places we could make it. Uh, two or three of them were sort of orthodox mm. theatrical distributors as it were. What Netflix said is, look, we have the platform. Mm-hmm. It's our belief that cinema can coexist with the platform. I'm not speaking for. them, I'm just saying. You yeah, yeah, know, this is their concept. Their concept is that people will choose because technology and because young people choose, they will choose how to watch their films. They some will choose to go to the cinema. Some will choose to watch them in home entertainment systems. Some of them choose to watch them on mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. tablet. Um, and so then that's their view is... Now, I think they also saw that they need to expand their theatrical offering. You know, yes. traditionally it was just like one or two cinemas to qualify. And, that, you know, not. they really were just a streaming service. That's, I think, what they're trying to do with this year with people like Alfonso and myself i make genuine films that they're going to release theatrically. I mean, this film will go out in a couple hundred theatres across mm-hmm. the world, which is what it would get, a film of, like, yeah. on this subject, yeah. you know. it's what Bloody Sunday got, I, I yeah. guess. Yeah. As well. Well, not, yeah. not even, not I even would that, think. Yeah. Um, what this will get is that plus the platform, and the platform is where young people who I mm-hmm. want to see this film will see it. And I, I, it was interesting, mm-hmm. I with my kids who were young adults, you know, when I'd written it, they all said, Netflix, we'll all watch it on Netflix. (laughs) Because you and I will go to the cinema, you know. Yeah. um, But young people don't always, but they always watch Netflix. So you've got to, you know, it's horses for courses. And that is, uh, it's the best way to release this film. And I think that Netflix have, it's I mean, they're going to be a um, a growing and major player in the theatrical space as well as the streaming space. So, you know that's that's as I see it.
0: It's an in time. The, the The paradigm seems to be shifting with Apple coming in as well. And Amazon yeah, and... I mean,
2: I don't subscribe to the view that that the theat you know that studios are dead or anything like that. I mean, this you know there are going to be multiplexes and movies. You know, I think that that where Netflix are really Making their mark at the moment is in the sort of art house space because that's the bit that's struggling, frankly, to sustain the films. Mm. You know, because there aren't enough people going. Yes, you know. So, so that's where you go. But I'm very. um, I feel, you know, I think the 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 way cinemas going is is good at the moment. I mean, it's a it's a good time to be making films of all kinds big yeah. and small you know fantastic Paul always a pleasure no Thank worries you
0: so Paul Greengrass sir we'll be discussing 22 July later on in the podcast but now it is time for movie news and uh, hell's bells I think we should start not with the news that uh, Anthony Ramos who starred in Hamilton is going to star in the movie version of In the Heights Woo-hoo! you can squeak about that all you want later on should we start with the can open worms everywhere <laughs> news of the week which is that James Gunn, former director well, not former director, he was he's always gonna be the director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volumes one and two, and former director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume three, is now in talks to write and possibly direct Suicide Squad two. He has not even jumped ship because he was pushed off the ship in the first place Mm -hmm. but he has swum to another ship and climbed on that ship and the ship said why were you pushed off that other ship and he went well for these reasons and they went oh we don't care about those (laughs) would you like to come on and just help us out here
1: I think this is... Metaphor. Yeah. That, it, <laughs> was you a, like that? it was a fascinating metaphor.
0: <laughs> I was, I was, it was like a little it bit. Was
1: like, it was like, I think it, there's two ships. We should clarify the metaphor. One of them is like an American ship in the Cold War and the other is like a Russian ship. So it's a Cold War, but there is definitely hostility mm. between the two ships.
0: Yes. You yes. know,
1: it's interesting. Um, this, <laughs> is, uh, this is interesting news. Somebody pointed out that the kind of people who got him fired... From Guardians are the kind of people whose Suicide Squad was aimed at. <laughs>
0: I think which it was is an, Colin, wasn't yeah, it? Which yeah, which is an
1: interesting uh, turn of events. But honestly, I think from his point of view, uh, this is probably a good move. Um, it certainly smacks somewhat of uh, I don't know revenge, possibly a dish best served yeah with a Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, it's also, I think, probably very good news for Suicide Squad too. A film I would that say precisely so. no one was excited about. Well. That's not fair. There's probably some people out Jack there excited about, was excited about it. But they shouldn't be. That was his. He was the best thing in Suicide Squad be. too. That was his. He was the best thing in Suicide Squad. Yeah, he school, was. I know. On well, one of them. Margaret Robbie, Robbie, yeah. Robbie was the best. But yes, it is it's a, probably a good uh, a good thing for that. And I do think it plays to James Gunn's strengths because I think there was, you know, his filmography outside of Guardians is a bit harder outside of Scooby-Doo is a bit <laughs> harder edged um than those movies. And yes. uh, and Suicide Squad gives him a little bit more room a little bit at least to indulge that side of his interests. So it would seem like a pretty good fit for him. And obviously he can do great work with an ensemble who have superpowers and run around doing things. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, I think I think Disney made, made the choice that they made and have mm-hmm. stuck to it um, despite... Despite uh, everything. Everything. Yeah. And so they should do nothing at this point but wish him well and wish him luck, I think.
0: I agree. Also, I said on Twitter that if there is anything, anything that is going to get him back on board for Guardians 3, I would say it's going directly to their rivals. <laughs> and and maybe making a, a, a silk purse out of a sow's ear, mm. uh, which, you know, I don't think either of us liked Suicide Squad. It was a big hit around the world, but then so many terrible movies are. and But there is potential there, and there's talk that this is... And it also, he's just on to write it at the moment, and there's no mm-hmm. guarantee that he will direct true, it, true. and various directors, including uh, Jaume Call It Sarah and Gavin O'Connor, and of course David Ayer, were linked with this movie over the last few years, but I suspect that Gunn will get it towards the starting line at least, and it does feel really tonally and attitudinally, if that's a word, it isn't, but I'm going to go over it anyway, uh, it feels like it's a perfect fit for him, and... My only concern is how he's going to sign the contract, given that he's going to be flipping two middle <laughs> fingers in the direction of Disney Towers. Hold the
1: pen in his mouth. Hold
0: the can. pen in his mouth. Yeah. Just sign it. Although that,
1: that will muffle the, the shouted curses, I suppose. So Maybe his toes. He can hold yeah. the pen in his toes.
0: Would that make it legally valid? I'm just thinking of the, the loophole in A Series of Unfortunate Events, the first book, where who's the, middle, who's the young uh, eldest kid, um, the Beauregard kids Um, Violet Violet Violet. and she's signs her marriage certificate to Count Olaf but she deliberately signs it with the wrong hand so it won't stand up in court see I'm I'm just wondering She's so smart So so smart but uh, personally I feel that this was inevitable I think this was inevitable the minute that the minute that uh, Disney gave him the old heave-ho, I wouldn't be surprised if he, overtures were being made in his direction, not just from Warner Brothers and DC, but oh, from, I'm sure from, from all sorts of other yeah, studios. Yeah, and it is fascinating to me that Disney drew a line in the sand and went, like as I alluded to, they went, these things you tweeted years and years ago, unconscionably do not fit with our with our, our uh, image as a company. And Warner Brothers just went, yeah, I don't care.
1: I mean, look, we, we said at the time they were terrible tweets they weren't funny ill judged um, they were ill judged but at the same time they were tweets yeah you know years ago he apologised for them it, it just seemed yeah
0: mm. but hey. yeah I, I agree uh, The I am a lot more excited about Suicide Squad 2 a film I actively did not want to happen <laughs> until this week and now suddenly I'm thinking
1: you know what I mean if it happens so be it
0: yeah absolutely mm. What next? What's happening?
1: World War Z two. You know that film they've been talking about since.
0: Thank you for saying Z. I try. I,
1: I I naturally say Z, so I did it to please you. So <laughs> Thank you. That was my little concession for you. Uh, I don't. They've been talking about this for how many years now? Five, six years. Well, the first one came out, came out in uh,
0: 2013.
1: Right. So five years um, uh, since it was a hit. It was a hit, and uh, I liked it. And they're now, yeah, it has many good things about it, which we should talk about in a minute. But hmm. they're now finally. Shooting ready-to-shoot World War Z 2. Uh, it'll be going into production next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Pitt is back as Jerry Lane. <laughs> Jerry Lane. <laughs> David Fincher is directing. Um, yes. So that's exciting. And uh, Utopia and Black Sea writer Dennis Kelly has apparently been working on the script, although it's not 100% locked yes. in quite yet. But that but is... Fincher. 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 Fincher mean, zombie movie.
0: I mean I genuinely did not think this was ever gonna happen. He's been linked no. for a long, long time, long Fincher. Time. But uh this is uh this is coming from an interview with uh Dede Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner who are Brad Pitt's producing partners over at Plan yeah. B. So who, they're saying the Fincher's are doing, on board.
1: They are doing incredible work at Plan B. I mean I've oh, seen some work. Oscar contenders this year and yeah. wow. Um so yeah, so it's it's exciting I think. Uh, World War Z, I love the book as I've discussed many times on this podcast before. I think it's fantastic. Um but its episodic nature obviously doesn't lend itself instantly to a Hollywood adaptation that is uh, direct. So they they threw away some key aspects of it. I had issues with some of the d- decisions made. Uh fast zombies are a major change from the mm-hmm. book and take away from some of the book. The book has this brilliant slow burn sort of first third of the zombie plague gradually spreading around the world in a really a realistic way of how this disease could happen or to, could yeah. spread, at least. And I, I, I loved that bit. Um, and they they lost all of that by making them fast zombies. It doesn't make any sense. But, um, <laughs> but it was a propulsive, um, intelligent... Uh, Action film that they made. Um, They took almost nothing from the book in the end, except that there's an attack on Jerusalem and the UN is involved and there are zombies. That's basically it. But I think there's there's loads more there that they they could explore, and I think it could be really really cool. Um, So I'm hoping that they get this one right and maybe take like a little bit from the book, like maybe like five things instead of like three. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Isn't there a bit where the queen finds zombies?
1: No, but they talk about the, the queen and the royal family um, uh, take refuge in I think Windsor, Windsor but they take in a lot of people as well, and they take in the people to all the castles, and they sort of they in the same way that the royal family did during World War Two. They kind of inspire the troops. The Pope takes refuge in Ireland. Ireland is pretty zombie-free that's good news for Island.
0: Us. He goes to Craggy Island.
1: <laughs> but there's all these just really, really cool stuff. An Indian general is really key in the fights. He's mentioned in passing in the first film, but you never see that. That would be really cool to okay. see. Um, the tactics that they developed to fight zombies would be cool, but they won't work against fast zombies, so they'd need to come up with something else. Yep. But it'd be interesting to see the development of that, you know. Uh, I just feel like there's... And there's, like, underwater zombies at one point. Like, there's... Just crazy stuff that nobody's done before that would be really cool.
0: Yeah, to, to yeah. watch. There's a isn't there a Japanese swordsman who Japanese? Is
1: he, there's a is there's a, a there's type a, a guy. type guy um, who takes in one of these kind of. Uh, uh, there is a word for them. I've forgotten it. Sorry, but the the kids in japan or the young men in japan especially who are kind of shut-ins who spend all day on their computer and never really emerge in the real world so there's one of these guys who's been following the whole thing on his computer screen but never really emerged from his flat and suddenly realizes that basically everyone else in the building is dead and has to escape the building and then he ends up in the woods being taught by basically a zatoichi to fight zombies it's it's awesome
0: yeah very excited and my god fincher on a movie like this could be something else yeah it really could, could be something else it <laughs> could be really really exciting so world War said to <laughs> coming out uh, maybe 2020 because I think film starts next year
1: yeah that's exciting gross.
0: should we talk about In the Heights
1: hey <laughs>
0: So, uh, John M. Chu, who uh, directed Crazy Rich Asians and uh, a Step Up to the Streets, I believe he directed that one as My well. My favorite of the f- that franchise. I mean, it's everyone's favorite, isn't I think it? So. Really, I think it's, so. it, he really stepped up to that plate and, uh, and directed that film really, really well. I think I've never seen it. Uh, who's in it? <laughs> is that a Channing one? He makes it. No, he makes
1: He makes an early appearance in Step Up to the Streets okay. to to uh, sort of uh, bless. Uh, Brianna Evergan, who's the
0: the main one? Does he get world. bumped off early on?
1: No, he just goes back to dance school.
0: Okay, because yeah. he gets he shows up in John M. Chu's uh, GI Joe Retaliation and gets bumped off early on. So yeah. I was just wondering if there was like a like a, a, a theme <laughs> killed, of Channing Tatum. Chanham. Yeah, no, he just shows up in a John M. Chu movie for five minutes and he gets killed.
1: I believe he's Spoiler in the country alert. right now, actually. Channing, mm, believe so.
0: That's amazing. presumably working on Gambit.
1: Well you know Which they're launching imminent. it's a different thing but they're launching uh, the Magic Mike stage show in London later this year.
0: I you know about this. Look at me.
1: Obviously you're you're in training already I can <laughs>
0: <have>. <laughs> Yeah, my entire life I've been waiting for this moment.
1: <laughs> so anyway, back to in the heights. Oh, this yes. is Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical. Um, which he started writing when he was in college, uh-huh. um, and, and put in a drawer for a few years, and then started developing. Won Tony Awards in about I think 2008 when it finally got to Broadway. Yeah, and it's a story set in Washington Heights, the, the neighborhood where he grew up, and centered around a bodega and a sort of close knit community. There's uh... have you seen it? I have. Yeah, okay. I saw it when it was at King's Cross. Did you go see it?
0: I had tickets to it, and uh, but then didn't go.
1: Wow. Well, that was a mistake. That's a good story. him did you think? Great story. Yeah, it's think? A great story. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's kind of an ensemble piece. It doesn't have a, a particularly massively strong through plot there's an element with a lottery ticket there's a college student who's kind of hiding a secret from her parents Uh-oh. there's a love story uh, there's a blackout um, but it's a sort of day in the life of a community sort okay. of a, a musical obviously fantastic music good tunes expect. great tunes great tunes
0: soundtracks available now on the iTunes and, and Prob- other platforms probably yes
1: yep. yes and, um, and Anthony Ramos uh, played a key role in Hamilton on stage on Broadway yes uh, oppositely manuel Miranda, and the original cast. He played two roles. John Lawrence, uh, who's an idealistic, young, anti-slavery campaigner, and then uh, Hamilton's son, Philip, in the second half. So he has sort of two roles in the play. And anyway, he will have one role in the play. He will be playing Lin-Manuel's original part. Uznavi, who is the kind of central character in, mm-hmm. in The Heights. Mm-hmm. And I would say he's very good casting for that. I saw him last week in Monsters and Men, which is a new sort of, uh, police shooting drama which is out uh, I think in a couple of months here okay. um, uh, he's opposite John David Washington in that and he is very very good and he has a very winning presence I think on screen and you, you see it in A Star Is Born as well yeah, he's, he's, good in that. Yeah. he's Gaga's best friend I didn't friend know that,
0: that. He, he was I didn't know it was Anthony Ramos when I, right. I, I was like wow I've heard that guy in my, in my ears a <laughs> million times so yeah so
1: times. I think this is I think this is good casting it's a really good start for In The Heights and I can't wait to h- see who else they assemble
0: fantastic have you seen also that uh, there's a bit of a cast rejig going on over at the UK version of Hamilton no yeah so Michael Gibson who played George III he's leaving um, the actor who played Angelica Schuyler is leaving as well I'm not sure whether it's a complete overhaul but uh, yeah they're at the gas of December they're Just doing a a bit of a switcheroo.
1: It's been a a year, I guess, so people's contracts Mm.
0: may be up. Just means we have to go see it again, don't we?
1: If we have to, we have to, Chris. Mm. Apparently there are returns at the moment, by the way, if you've been waiting for Hamilton tickets, I've got a friend who tried to go this week and and could go.
0: Interesting. What about the ID thing?
1: There were returns to the theatre, so the theatre's reselling.
0: Oh my God, this gets better and better. It's
1: all happening, people.
0: Helen, we haven't seen Hamilton together. I wonder if it's going to be like a a Fast Five type (laughs) situation where we're just constantly high-fiving each other and... Yeah, dancing in the aisles it could
1: be uh, it could be we could get sh- <laughs> kicked out of Hamilton which would be embarrassing
0: or invited to join the company
1: oh, i think you would make a lovely angelica
0: <laughs> it would be tough for me to balance my hamilton commitments with my magic Mike stage show commitments that so. is
1: true but yeah. i feel like they'd accommodate you you think yeah because both would want you so much well you know? george
0: the third isn't really on stage for that long so no. i could, but then again he's not meant to be ripped
1: <laughs> oh that and is i'm ripped for the magic course, Mike so thing ripped
0: so ripped! It's like it's like corrugated iron. On the- I
1: hear Hemsworth has been calling you up, badgering you for fitness tips. Is this true?
0: It's very true. Yeah, uh, three in the morning, drunk Hemsworth guy. Yeah, you put me to shame, you bastard! I listen, Bliss. bang, that's me, bang, <laughs> just smacking my rock hard, tasty abs, bang bang. <laughs> Is that the sound they make? <laughs> It's the sound make, Helen. I see. I like to thank you not know, to cast dispersions on my abs. <laughs> Should we move on? Oh, God, let's.
1: Um, <laughs> hey, there's an Aladdin poster that's coming Abspersions.
0: Out today. Abspersions. Thanks, Chris.
1: There's an Aladdin poster today. You know what that means, don't you? Aladdin trailer tomorrow. So that's Ad- the thing that's probably happening. Oh, when I say tomorrow, I, I mean, as you people are listening to this podcast, you can probably watch the trailer right now. We can't. We haven't yeah. seen it yet.
0: Yeah, because Aladdin poster. Today is actually yesterday, and the trailer tomorrow means today, right? Oh, really? Yeah, it was yesterday. Oh, I it was today. No, you, you dropped it on the Instagram account yesterday. Oh, wow. Well so then. saying it today, so some point today there'll be an Aladdin trailer, and then and then we'll we'll, we'll then know we'll more know. about that. We'll yeah, that's right. gonna be that's gonna be vaguely exciting, don't you think? Yeah, maybe possibly. Venom did well at the box office. Did very well at the box office. Uh, it's passed a hundred million dollar mark in the US already. And that, that almost certainly means sequel money. Sequels are going to be happening all over the shop.
1: Well, I mean, they did have that post-credit sting, mid-credit sting, I forget, but the cre- mm. the sting. So uh, they, they're clearly thinking in that direction. Mm. So that's a thing that's happening. The, I'm, I'm intrigued by this because I didn't know about this before, maybe because I haven't been paying attention, but Kurt Russell playing Santa Claus. Yes. It's given me odd feelings about Santa Claus that I'm not, Sure, one is supposed to have.
0: Would you like a gift from his bulging sack?
1: <laughs> that is not right, Chris. But I, I am, I'm in awe of his amazing streaky beard. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> um,
0: it feels like they sort of backed into that. That they, they just. Look, who's got an incredible beard? Yeah, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Right, Russell he'll done. do. Sorted. He'll do. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about that as well. I'm also excited. Th- I can't remember if we talked about this on last week's show or not. But Brian Johnson's new movie, *Knives Out*. Yes. Uh, so he is—he has written and d- he's going to direct this modern-day murder mystery, mm-hmm. and it will it star Daniel Craig. Okay. Taking advantage Good of that stuff. brief window before Bond 25 starts, yep. now that it's been pushed back a little bit, as a detective that Johnson has apparently said he hopes will rival Poirot. And, you know, and some of the other great okay, big detectives. Okay. And so he's got a great cast. So Daniel Craig, obviously, on board as well. Mm-hmm. And this week they signed up Chris Evans. I mean, I'm not interested in him famously. <laughs> I don't care. Um, but I like think Keith Stanfield and Michael Shannon.
1: That is that is a heck of a cast. That is, mm. That's that's really a tasty combination of people that, there, mm. I have to say. I think, I think first of all, Chris Evans is going to have a really interesting post-Marvel career. I think there have been you know suggestions in the past that he wanted to kind of... Break out and do little different things. I mean, from you know Scott Pilgrim a little bit from his Broadway work. Um, I, I think he's. I think he's going to do Man. some really crazy stuff. The Iceman as well, absolutely. Um, I think he's going to do some really interesting stuff in the next couple of years, and he's worth keeping an eye on. And hopefully, he'll he'll experiment a bit more with directing as well, which I know he's been anxious to do. Michael Shannon always always great. Lakeith like Stanfield actually always always great. Like when's yeah. the last time you saw him be bad or disappointing in any way in anything? Never. Quite right. Never. So I am calling me hyped. I'd like to see a woman in the cast sometime, but you know they'll maybe get to it's that. Soon.
0: They'll get to that. All right. But I'm wondering because uh, apparently they said that because uh, plot details are under wraps. But here's my theory. Okay. Right. So they said that Stan- Shannon and Stanfield are going to play detectives. Right. So right. we all know Daniel Craig is already a detective. Sure. I'm wondering if the plot revolves around a group of detectives being like world famous detectives. So like. Competing. Johnson's Johnson's version of you know Poirot and Marple and Morse and Frost and all these and Grissom obviously from CSI obviously, obviously Columbo all those guys getting together and one Gibbs. of
1: them NCIS Gibbs Gobby Gibbs
0: ah oh, well, Gibbs no, and De Gibbs. De Nozo. no just Gibbs oh, you can't have NCIS anyway anyway um, and they all come together and it's amazing okay and then one of them gets bumped off what? and then they have to figure out which you know which of these. World famous detectives. Today.
1: I'm not okay with them being bumped off, but otherwise, I think it's fine. And there'll great. be a lady at
0: some point. Do we want to talk about about before we move on? Because um, I know you have some feels about this. At uh, Chris Evans' tweet,
1: he has rapped as as Captain America. Um, it's obviously been a very difficult time for me. I've uh, I've had a lot of uh, <laughs> counselling to get through this. But um, but yeah, he he is he is officially wrapped on the the reshoots and pickups that they have been doing of late, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and has donned the. You know, red, white, and blue for the last time, apparently. Probably because, you know, as we all know, he's going to live happily ever after on a farm, which he will rent, not buy, at the end of uh, Avengers and... Infinity War Part Two, or whatever.
0: <laughs> he rents the farm. He
1: rents the farm. He doesn't buy the farm. There will I, be no buying.
0: I suspect a lot of characters in Infinity War are currently just renting the farm, but uh, there will
1: only yes, at the moment there's renting going yeah, on, but he will of, only ever rent
0: a farm. I a think. lot of renting. So, uh, but here's the thing: yeah. this tweet that he put up last week, everyone's assuming that this means Cap dies in Avengers Four, no. and that this is a farewell to the character. But you read this tweet, and he goes, "Officially wrapped in Avengers four. It was an emotional day, to say the least. But that's because, whenever you wrap in something like this, people yeah. come out and they give you presents. And I want to know what his cap rap presents were. Playing this role over the last eight years has been an honour to everyone in front of the camera, behind the camera. That's us. Oh my god! I've been behind the camera oh. on a Captain America. Oh, movie. me too. So there you go. Hey. It's us. He's thanking us. By name, uh, and in the audience, also us. Also us. us. He we thanks just twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Chris, that's amazing. Thank you for the memories. He remembers us.
1: <laughs> he does not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Eternally grateful. That's what he. That's way he finishes. Now, what nowhere there does he say if he had said, "Oh, Om- O M G, you guys just finished Cap's death scene." Um, totally. Yeah blood everywhere
1: people think it's a, it's a goodbye to the experience of shooting cap it's not necessarily a, my character has died now it's been <laughs> it's been on record really really clearly that this is his last film as Captain America. So for him to say that is not a spoiler. It does mm. not mean Cap's dead. Yes. And I maintain that he will merely rent a farm where he will live happily ever after with Bucky and Peggy. Somehow.
0: <laughs> wow, those weekends are going to be interesting.
1: Hey, no judgment, <laughs> man. No judgment. <laughs> no
0: judgment here. Not on the Empire podcast, that's for sure. This is the safe space for your, your Cap, Bucky, Peggy fantasies. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, right, that's it for the movie news. Time now for our second guest this week. Damien Chazelle is the director of... Whiplash La La Land those two films had a lot in common Use of Music J.K. Simmons for one and they both got five stars from Empire Magazine and this week he becomes one of the first directors in a long long time to uh, have a run of three five star films spoiler alert because his new movie First Man about Neil Armstrong and the attempt to get American men on the moon did they succeed? Who knows? (laughs) Who can truly say. Also got the big five ones as well. Chazelle is a fascinating up and coming director. Keep an eye on him. He's going places. (laughs) Uh, We sent our Ben Travis along to talk to him when he came into London recently. Do please enjoy.
3: So we're thrilled to be joined on the uh, Empire podcast by Damien Chazelle, the director of Whiplash, director of La La Land, and now director of First Man. Damien, how are you doing?
4: I'm good. Thanks for having me. I
3: mean, what? an incredible run of films that those three films that you put out like within the last i don't know five years or so from a from a british perspective we didn't get um guy and madeline Mm -hmm. on a park bench over here so from our perspective those are your like kind of three first films Mm -hmm. and all three of those in empire magazine have been given five stars (laughs) and there's been quite a lot of discussion in the office about this because we were talking and i don't think any director has ever had that streak of, film, especially their opening cool. run of films. We were looking, even talking. I don't know, uh, James Cameron, Danny Boyle, that none of them have managed that kind of yeah, three five soft films in a row. Like how how have you done it? <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, uh, well, I didn't know that fact, so uh, that's uh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's 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 of course, uh, you know. Uh, subjective whether uh, (laughs) you know whether the movies work or Mm -hmm. not I guess for me it's I I try to just make movies I would want to see you know Mm -hmm. and and um, um, so it probably all comes back to being a cinephile you know for me it's I grew up my whole life wanting to make movies and so before I could kind of get my own camera equipment I could at least watch movies so I spent a lot of time watching reading about them writing scripts watching some more Mm -hmm. uh, re-watching just trying to learn and there were just so many experiences that I had, and I still have to this day, watching films and just getting my mind blown, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's such a wonderful experience for me. I live for that experience as a movie watcher, so I, 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 as a movie maker, I just want to try to do my best to provide an experience uh, like that for mm-hmm. the viewers.
3: And obviously the last time that we had that from you was, uh, was La La Land, which actually, it doesn't feel like that long ago. It's about kind of two years ago. I imagine probably longer since you were making it. But um, can you tell me a bit about when did First Man come to you? This mm-hmm. is your f- the first of those three films that uh, you're a director, but not credited as a writer on. Um, right. What yeah. shape was it in when uh, you entered the project?
4: Well, it was uh, it was actually right before I started shooting La La Land. Um, I, I, I had... Um, Finished Whiplash. Uh, La La Land was kind of slowly getting up and running, but wasn't you know up and running yet. Um, And I met these two producers in LA, who who uh, 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 Wick Godfrey and and Marty Bowen, and uh, three producers, Isaac Klausner, and they they had uh, you know they 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 had a few projects that they sort of you know were asking me about. They had liked Whiplash, and. kind of asking me what I was interested in. And I wasn't really sure uh, other than I, my head was always, it was completely in La La Land at that point. So I didn't really know what beyond a romantic musical <laughs> I would <laughs> be interested in. And they gave me this book by Jim Hansen called First Man, this biography of Neil Armstrong. And I, you know, I hadn't been a big space geek growing up or anything okay. like that. But I just, uh, I became riveted by just, you know, reading this story of, uh, of uh, an event that I thought I knew, but kind of realized I didn't an individual I thought I knew but realized I didn't uh, just the whole story behind the story became fascinating to me sort of uh, uh uh, immediately, I, I wanted to do it, but I also knew that I needed help. I needed someone to adapt this book, who could dive into the research, who could do a lot of the heavy lifting, especially while I was shooting Lala La Land. So mm-hmm. I I met Josh Shinger, incredible writer. Uh, this was before he wrote, uh, uh, well, he had written but hadn't shot Spotlight, uh, mm-hmm. for which he later won the Oscar. So I was very lucky to get him before uh, <laughs> before that happened. Otherwise, we probably couldn't have afforded him. Um, and uh, but Josh just went to town with the research and started going to Houston and making trips to to visit the families and the astronauts themselves while I was shooting La, La Land so that by the time I was finished with La, La Land there was a draft of the script and we started working together and brought Ryan on board and it just became this kind of uh, a thing right away
3: and I mean the the approach that you take in in this story it's it's not the science it's not the uh that side of kind of how do you get to the moon. there is an element of mm-hmm. that but it's it's on Neil Armstrong. It's Neil Armstrong's mm-hmm. story. Um, were you able to help kind of shape the script in that direction? Then, if you were on stage on board, uh, kind of that early stage before the, the screenplay was fully written.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of uh, uh, after looking at the book and some some, of some archival materials, I sort of figured out what my take on the story would be. Um, uh, you know, this idea of doing about a seven or eight year span of Neil's life and just kind of beginning when he joins NASA, ending when he lands on the moon and looking at it as kind of a mission movie from his perspective to try to sort of figure out uh, in the storytelling how, uh, show how, uh, in an almost procedural way, how this was accomplished, this insane endeavor was accomplished. And so Josh kind of took that basic you know idea, those basic parameters and ran with it and um, and then, yeah, it was a very collaborative process. We sort of worked together a lot on the script, and then Ryan as well uh, uh, worked a lot with uh, with Josh and myself on the script, and, and 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 did a lot of research on his own and with us. And so it was, it, it became this kind of triangle in a way, uh, very much of of of, um, of all of us just trying to craft this thing.
3: Mm-hmm. And there's something uh, that happens kind of towards the, the start of the film. That I'm, I'm going to err on the side of not mentioning it here. Obviously, it's it's history, and this is kind of uh, – uh, but there isn't a part of Neil's story that – You're talking about a, the aliens. The aliens, yeah. So, yeah. obviously, that's been kept under wraps for kind yeah. of Oh, years. shoot, I just <laughs> – NASA secrets over here. Um, Damn it, I just spoiled it. <laughs> but there's, there's, some, there's some kind of personal tragedy mm-hmm. in Neil's life that, that – Yes. As yeah. you see the film, um feels like a part of the impetus for him to kind of take on this mission. How aware of that story were you? Because I think everyone everyone knows he went to the moon and it was this kind of uh, mad kind of few years for him. But that there was that in the background of it. Was that the thing that captured you when you were reading about him? It,
4: certainly it was, it was one of the main things that captured me. I also remember it was definitely one of the main things that captured Ryan when he first... Uh, uh, kind of got involved um, mm-hmm. just this idea that um that a certain kind of grief could could perhaps compel you in ways that maybe you yourself or neil himself can 't even describe can compel you to that distance of experience you know all the way beyond the bounds of. Mere mortals, you know, it's like it's 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 the moon is is like the land of the dead. It's like the undiscovered country. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's so far away from the Earth uh, when you actually look at it, you know, on uh, at scale, um, uh, that it's almost unfathomable. And so, um, so this idea that an unfathomable tragedy could maybe help spur that, um, was really interesting uh, to us. Um, it also felt. True and honest, um, you know. Neil was someone who, who felt a lot, felt very deeply, loved very deeply, but did not share those emotions. Did not kind of uh, uh, display those emotions in outward in, in an outward way. If anything, he sublimated those emotions into his work. And so, whether he was running from grief through his work or whether he was trying to uh, 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 cope with his grief. Grief through his work, you know th- that I'm not sure, but 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 the two were were definitely related, um, um, and I think that was something that Ryan really, um, you know, felt passionate about trying to to flesh out.
3: Mm-hmm. Because so so uh, Whiplash comes out, and there's obviously a, a, a it's about jazz music, and then <laughs> uh, La La Land comes out, and there is a musical element there. And I I remember seeing uh, when you were going to do first man thinking oh how does this this seems like a sort of different project but i guess all of your films have been um about not just this but but men who want to do great things and who are pushed with that ambition <clears throat> so is that is that do you see that link between your films is that just a topic that that you find interesting and
4: yeah i mean um i think uh well i think just that sort of pursuit of a dream you know mm-hmm. whether maybe whether it's an artistic dream like in the earlier films or whether it's you know uh, this kind of dream for walking on the moon is is uh, um i'm interested in in trying to uh i don't know maybe maybe in some way uh i would say de-romanticize that pursuit even though of course la la land is you know pretty romantic or, or tries to be. But, uh, but you know, to, to, to try to show the pursuit warts and all, to try to really show the ups and the downs and show how hard those kind of pursuits can be. Um, uh, and so whether it's, you know, uh, uh, whether it's Miles Teller's character in Whiplash or or Emma Stone's character uh, in in La La Land or or, or Ryan's character in La La Land or, or, you know, obviously Ryan here or or, or Claire Foy playing Janet Armstrong here. You know, uh, I think these are characters who are all just, uh, uh, I mean, on a certain level, uh, ordinary people, you know, hopefully just very relatable, fallible human beings um, that we can relate to on that level. But... uh, but they they're existing on this precipice between reality and and the fantasy of mm. those dreams, you know. And mm-hmm. in this case, it's it's the fantasy of the moon, this this object that hangs in the sky, that kind of hangs over all of us. And what does that mean? And uh, it just seemed like a very powerful metaphor, in a way, for for all all human achievement, all kind of you know human pursuit of, of dreams.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminded me a bit because there, there are various shots here of, of kind of Ryan occasionally looking up and seeing this sort of spectre of the moon yeah. hanging over him. It reminded me of almost a Gatsby esque way of him oh, staring at be- the green light. Yeah, that's um, beautiful. That kind of the the distance of it is so close and it's so far at the same time.
4: Yes, yeah. Um, well, that's that that's that's uh, that certainly applies to the moon. The so far and so close. I mean, so much so that I, I remember being shocked when I first kind of found out, sort of visually. And we <laughs> do a sort of graph like this in the film. How far? <laughs> the moon was and yet it's something that we live with every day we mm. see as though it's right around the corner
3: so you said before you weren't particularly like a you weren't like a space kid you weren't into it no, wasn't like that no. was a massive thing for you but yeah. then did you did you go to NASA when you were prepping for the film um did oh, you yeah. have that experience and were you freaking out when you got there did it was it surreal to be it, to be at it was and and the first
4: time I remember being uh, uh, you know somewhat uh stressing out quite a bit because I think I was realizing firsthand just how much I'd have to learn. I mean mm. that, that this was a, this was a really exciting opportunity to do this movie, but it was also a real challenge. It was going to be a real responsibility. It was going to be uh, it was going to be something that we couldn't just half ass. We had to we had to do the homework to get this right. But you know, to actually walk through the hallways of NASA at Houston, or to you know, or, or to get to visit uh, Cape Canaveral, um, you know, w- w- where we shot at uh, uh, a little bit as well. Um, uh, you know, or, or or Edwards Air Force Base, where, where Neil uh, worked as a test pilot in Lancaster in California, you know, where we also shot. These places, uh, it was just a world I didn't know, you know. Mm. I think partly because maybe I didn't grow up as a space geek or anything, uh, uh, I was all the more excited. To, it felt like I was opening the doors on something that was just uh, unlike the world of music or the world of film or, you know, sort of subject matters I delved into in previous movies, This felt fresh to me. It felt like something that I hadn't really scratched the surface of Mm -hmm. yet. So I was, uh, you know, simultaneously excited and uh, and, you know, somewhat fearful (laughs) of Mm. just, you know, how much work would be required.
3: And one thing when uh, when Neil goes to to NASA in the film uh, as part of his training, uh, I think people will be aware of this in general, that um, as part of the sort of zero gravity uh, training, there's this sort of gyrosphere thing they strap yep. an asteroid yep. into this crazy contraption that spins them all kind of different ways uh, and there's a scene of that in the film mm-hmm. did you get Ryan in one of those for real and did you have a go in one and was it as horrible as it looks in the film?
4: <laughs> I, uh I did not get in one, but Ryan <laughs> totally did. Lame. Ryan, uh, hopped right in and mm. he was in it for a long time and we spun him around quite a bit. Um, you know, the, that contraption, the multi-axis trainer, uh, uh, doesn't exist anymore. And, mm. uh, you know, but we had sort of old archival footage and, and, and photographs of it from, from the Mercury and, and early Gemini era. And so we wanted to put it in the film and, um, but we had to build it, so Nathan Crowley, the production designer, literally built it from scratch right. and uh um and then uh uh, uh and then uh j d uh, and jim Schwamm, our, our special effects uh, uh uh supervisors basically uh got it working got mm-hmm. it moving and 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 so the, you know it was kind of crazy coming to set that day seeing this thing truly doing what it does in the movie i mean there's no real kind of there's very little in the way of you know optical trickery in mm-hmm. in in, in in those scenes um and uh uh yeah i can't speak for ryan but uh, uh in terms of you know whether he enjoyed uh, <laughs> riding that thing or not but it's certainly not the most comfortable th- ride in the world it really doesn't look it. He,
3: did he feel pretty peaky later in the day I think did he you did. have him shooting through the afternoon as well or through the rest of the day yeah, after we, that?
4: we tried to be sparing but mm. but no he was definitely on it for 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 quite a bit and you know not just on it but having to act you <laughs> know um of course it, i don't think it was that hard for him to have to act nauseous and disoriented on that thing because it's kind of what happens
3: you were talking earlier about uh the experience of watching films and sometimes something just absolutely kind of knocks you out Mm -hmm. it just it it really really hits you and um i'm a fan of all of your films but for me that was that was whiplash um i went to like an early screening of whiplash I honestly I couldn't speak for 15 minutes I kind of oh, wow. honestly in a very cliched way like stumbled out of the cinema uh kind of bowled over by it um so th- <laughs> that you. was an amazing experience for me um I want to I still find myself thinking about that film and how I'd even begin to to define it because it's it's there are moments in it that are so kind of jubilant and yet it's also really grueling and <laughs> yeah. I think part of the reason that you come out feeling so kind of knocked out by it yeah is that that side of it Do you, yeah is there an element of horror to it, do you think? Especially, I always think about it, um, seeing what uh, Blumhouse productions mm-hmm. do, and obviously that is that is a Blumhouse film. Yeah. Um, how do you see Whiplash, <coughs> and do you have an affinity for, for genre films? Is that something that you would pursue, or is that something that you don't kind of see yourself heading into? Well, I, I th-
4: no, I do for sure, but I, I, I think part of what was fun with Whiplash and what I guess I, I want to try to... Keep trying to do in in my films is to is to sort of um, put genres maybe where or genre certain genre stylistics or conventions into places or situations where you wouldn't normally expect them, mm-hmm. you know. So the idea of of you know to take uh, the world of jazz drumming. Which any time when I was trying to pitch that movie, I would describe it to people, their eyes would just glaze over. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it sounded like the dullest thing I could possibly say to anyone. Um, but to do that, like a horror movie, I mm-hmm. think uh, kind of um, that was the challenge there. You know, with La La Land, it was to try to do a kind of big musical, but. But as though it were somewhat realistic, Um, you know, uh, I think here it was it was it was a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, do a giant kind of, you know, Lawrence Arabia style historical epic, but as though it were a documentary, uh, as though it were (laughs) sort of a little home movie. Um, also horror movie elements as well in terms of how we tried to shoot the the launches and things like that you know um, it's always fun to try to smash things together a little mm-hmm. bit you know and, and see ways in which genres or styles of filmmaking can speak to each other in, in new ways mm-hmm. um, I don't know you know for example if I would really know exactly what to do with, with a horror film per se though you know many of my favorite films are horror films um, I'd probably have to find some way to turn it on its head you know in order to kind of have a way in
3: do you see yourself as a sort of technically minded director is that when you're first envisioning a project do you see it on a technical level or do you see yourself as more of a character driven emotion driven uh director and then that technical side of it obviously comes into it when you're making the film Mm -hmm. Uh,
4: i mean i hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out answer uh the the holy grail for me is to be both and Mm -hmm. and i don't know uh you know uh, that at least to me is what I'm always trying to do, and and who knows, you know whether whether you know whether I'm successful at it or whether one sort of overwhelms the other a, at times. Um, but I I I do love um, I do love kind of moments where movies can sort of in, indulge in I guess what you'd call pure cinema you know, where it's just uh, a sort of sensory experience, you know, like the ending of Whiplash or or the, you know, the moon landing sequence uh, 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 in First Man, you know, uh, uh, stuff like that is definitely um, probably where I feel that I get the most joy out of crafting those sort of sequences. But they only work Um, if they're invested with human emotion. Um, And so the more human emotion that's invested into them, the better acted they are, the more that you kind of feel you know the characters at the heart of them, actually ironically the better they make them seem technically Mm -hmm. you know and uh so the the two things really feed off each other um and um uh i think the challenge is to try to make sure that one doesn't overwhelm the other um especially a movie like first man it was very easy to have it be overwhelmed by the technical side just because there was so much to to accomplish technically Um, um, but that's why, you know, I sort of counted my lucky stars every day I was on set that I had someone like Ryan, uh, uh, you know, there by my side or Claire Foy or any of the actors in the film who were just able to ground it, you know, mm-hmm. just able to humanize even the most technical sides of the movie. They were able to invest it with real human emotion in a way that I alone could could never do.
3: Mm-hmm. And in terms of those moments of, of kind of pure, overwhelming cinema, um, uh, growing up and even well and now as well what what were those moments for you are there any that that kind of stand out that you see as real touchstones that you that you go back to and you're looking for inspiration for how to kind of pull off those oh. those moments in your own film
4: <clears throat> sure i mean yeah uh, uh, i mean there's so many that it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I mean, certainly, I'm a huge fan of silent films, and and certainly, you know, you could argue whole stretches of, you know, or entire films, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you think of something by Murnau or something like Sunrise or a film like that is kind of nonstop pure cinema. Um, uh, in some ways, I think that can be, you know, the the highest ideal of cinema is to make something like like that or like Nosferatu or like, uh, uh, you know, um, City Lights or you know, s- s- some of, some of films like that. You know, but 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 just also individual sequences that I've sort of shamelessly uh, stolen from and, and gotten inspiration from. You know, in the past, you know, the the car chase and The French Connection, the boxing matches and Raging Bull, um, you know, the 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 sort of uh, the the kind of fast moving uh, uh, sort of uh, 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 sort of a jazzy elliptical opening to something like Jules and Jim. You know, just just. Uh, uh, movies where you you they're kind of infectious. you feel the joy of the filmmaking and it just sort of bleeds out of every frame
3: and so just to finish things up mm-hmm. um, what's next for you because like i said it doesn't feel that long from an audience perspective between uh, la la land and, and first man mm-hmm. can we expect another damien chazelle film in in two years time have you got <laughs> something uh, in the background at the moment that that's kind of taking up your your
4: <clears throat> well no it, it might be a little longer i'm not sure because uh, unlike with those movies you know I've, I've sort of already working on one while i was finishing mm-hmm. the other and in this case i i'm not I, I i'm shooting a little bit of tv two episodes of a Uh, of a television show called the eddie in paris next year which i'm excited to do it'll be sort of a change of pace um uh, but that'll be relatively quick you know other than that i'm writing right now i haven't written in a while Mm -hmm. (laughs) since before uh those 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 movies so i'm uh excited to try to figure out on paper at least what the next thing uh will be but i'm not sure
3: And with the Eddie, are you you a big uh, TV fan? Obviously, we're living in a great time for TV at the moment. And um, how do you think shooting that is going to differ to shooting your last few movies?
4: I'm not sure I'm really eager to learn, you know. I I, I have to admit I'm very much a, a naive in the whole TV world. I I, I don't uh, uh I've never done TV. I don't know the uh, the sort of uh, uh firsthand what what a TV production uh will be like. Um I've never shot in Paris before. Um uh so I'm really uh, uh excited. It's 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 uh, it's written by a great writer named Jack Thorne. Um and uh, a UK writer actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh and um yeah, it's certainly a great time right now for 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 television. I feel like I'm always behind on it. I never, you know, I, I, I never, uh, um, I, I, I don't watch uh, very much, so I always feel like I'm I'm uh, catching up mm-hmm. uh, after the fact. But um, but I'm excited to give it a go, at least behind the camera.
3: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Damien Chazelle. Cool. great to have you on the podcast.
4: Thanks very much. Thank Thanks you. for having
0: me. Okay, so that was Damien Chazelle, and let's now start our reviews section with his film First Man. We. As I said, we gave it five stars. Helen, <laughs> set out the plot of this movie for us, other than just they put Bloke on moon, man walks on moon, th- that's it. Damn it, that's uh, what I've got written down. And do you concur?
1: <laughs> I concur. Uh, yes, this is the story of, well, we've seen stories about NASA before, and if you've seen the right stuff, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of overlap in terms of the basic facts. Um, NASA decided to, at the end of the 1950s, the Russians were basically beating them in the space race. Sputnik was in the air, uh, orbiting the Earth, and uh, they needed to up their game. So Kennedy announced they were going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. <laughs> and what followed was, like, they had no idea how to do this.
0: It Madness. was
1: clearly, genuinely clearly impossible. They had less computing power than you have in your pocket right now on your phone. And they put men on the moon. And I don't feel like that's a spoiler. because Can I have a six? <laughs> Sorry? I have a 6. You have a, I know, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, I think can it's you imagine? Like, genuinely,
1: I think it's less than an iPhone 1. It's, yeah. it's, it's a tiny amount of computing yeah. power. That's why they needed the ladies from Hidden Figures, um, who we saw last year.
0: Can't wait for this double bill. Genuinely, I love Hidden Figures. I think it's great.
1: Yeah, I think it would be a really good um, uh, joining up. I think that one uh, sort of uh, climaxes a little bit earlier than this one. That's with John Glenn, isn't it? That's Glenn Powell's character. Um, so it's a little yes. bit before... Yes. The Gemini missions, rather than the Apollo missions That's to correct. the moon itself. So, basically, Neil Armstrong came in as part of the new nine, who were the second wave of astronauts recruited by NASA, and were considered. He was considered the most gifted of an incredibly gifted bunch. Basically, um, but what you may not have known is the sort of the personal stuff that we learn in this film. So, Ryan Gosling, for it is he who plays Neil Armstrong. Uh-huh. Um, we see he and his wife Janet, played by Claire Foy, at, at a moment in their lives where they're experiencing just uh, the the nightmare scenario of their tiny daughter. Who's under three years old, um, being treated for a very aggressive form of cancer, and it was uh, so they've they've been through this family tragedy, and uh, it's it's been incredibly tough on them, and that takes place basically before he goes to NASA, and he's going trying to go straight back into work and, and carry on regardless, and it's an it's an interesting portrait of. of the man from that point of view, which we haven't seen before, because Neil Armstrong was a famously private individual. You know, he may have gone to the moon, but he had no interest in doing publicity about it. He had no interest in being the American hero and and really stepped out of the spotlight for most of his life. So mm-hmm. a lot of this is just not known about. So it is really interesting from that point of view. And, uh, and it's really interesting in terms of showing the sheer scale of this undertaking, the difficulties that they faced, the human sacrifices involved. I mean, even apart from the, the famous fire that claimed the lives of three astronauts on the, on the launch pad, um, others died in the process and, and there were losses along the way and just the, the sheer sort of Buildup of tragedy that these people endured was was horrendous because just t- test pilots at the time were dropping like flies because mm. that was the nature of the of the game. The crashes were extremely incredibly common, yeah, yeah, incredibly Jesus. dangerous. Um, so I think you know, it, as the the right stuff did, this brings some of that sort of back into the spotlight and, and talks about the the sheer courage of these people. I'm always here for a NASA movie. I, I love a <laughs> NASA movie genuinely. I, I'm I'm such a space nerd. I've been to Kennedy. I've been to Houston. Have you? Oh yeah, it's incredible. I just I, I go nuts.
0: Helen, you have a problem.
1: I'm. Thanks. I met a guy who worked on the Saturn V rockets that they used for the Apollo missions, and I got a bit starstruck. He's wow. ju- he's like an engineer. He's not like a big boss or anything. He's not a name, but I was a bit starstruck just to have met him. That was awesome. So uh, so I'm very very here for NASA stories. I think <laughs> uh, for me, and you know, I'm going to say this. So I wasn't a fan of La, La Land, obviously. Um, Damien Chazelle has talked about this film being very much a family portrait and a portrait of a marriage and if it is that I don't think it entirely su- succeeds because I don't think Claire Foy is given enough to do I think she's great at what she does do but she doesn't get a huge amount of character development I didn't think uh, and, and he, his stuff is, is great and it's really well handled he's got an incredible cast around him who again are sometimes underserved um You have uh, Kyle Chandler's there. You have Jason Clark. Um, You have Corey Stoll giving quite an unsympathetic portrait of Buzz Aldrin, which I thought was interesting. I feel like I feel like somebody out there doesn't like him very much, Uh, and that was kind of amusing to me. But it's a good performance. It's just it's been written slightly unsympathetically. But huge, hugely gifted cast. um, Sometimes an embarrassment of riches, frankly, around him, and uh, and really a, a quite emotional look, at an astonishing achievement.
0: How are the songs? (laughs)
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, they're not a star is born, but they're up there.
0: <laughs> does he go? My God, it's full of stars. Then launches the city of stars. Does he? <laughs> does he do that? Uh, I hear that this is really visceral at the the the, yeah. the the rocket scenes, the launch scenes. This you know. This, do they actually get yeah. to the moon in this? Don't give uh, away no, too no, much. Spoilers, no, no spoilers. Spoilers,
1: but uh, I think that but those is, scenes are yeah. And yeah, I think that, that, that this is something that this film has maybe over some of the other NASA movies we've seen in the past. Now, I'll be honest, Apollo thirteen for me remains the best one. Like just as a as a balance of NASA geekery and drama, that is my personal favorite. Although this one is really up there. I think what this one does brilliantly is yeah. If you want to see it in a really good cinema, you want the the Dolby Atmos or whatever you want the the high definition screen because the sound shakes you and. Uh, you, and the camera's shaking, and it's filling your whole vision. And sometimes they couldn't see very much, and you get that sense of being out of control in in on something going extraordinarily, impossibly fast um, through an incredibly and hostile environment. And it is it is pretty astonishing, and just giving you the sense of danger that they face, and giving you the sense that these things were held together by nuts and bolts, and uh, <laughs> not rust because it's NASA, but nuts and bolts, and and that's not enough, you know. You want like crazy titanium sci-fi stuff around you if you're going into space. As we learned uh, in gravity, space is impossible.
0: Uh, Sounds amazing. Can't wait to see it. I'm going to go see it this weekend. Uh, Five stars then for First Man. And Helen, who is a la-la-lan sceptic, absolutely (laughs) totally agrees with that. So that is good. Well, there you go. Happy days. Everyone's good. Uh, Let's move on now to Bad Times at the El Royale, a recent Empire cover movie, of Mm. course. The, The latest film from Drew Goddard, writer and director... Uh, in which an all-star cast check into a hotel that straddles two states in the U.S. and there you you won't believe this, but bad things happen. No hell spells. Tell us more.
1: Uh, okay, so yes, um, a motley crew of interesting character actors and/or stars. <laughs> Wait
0: a second, what are we talking sorry. about here? <laughs> <Which>? <laughs>
1: in Bad Times of the Alamo. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Turn up at this um this motel in the middle of uh, on on the border as you say between Nevada and, and California and they all have their own particular reasons for being there but gradually those reasons begin to impinge on each other I mm-hmm. suppose and they are they learn some stuff, there's 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 sort of secret corridors behind the rooms, there's spying going on, there are secret bugs planted and tapes, and there's the looming threat of somebody very bad arriving.
0: Yeah, this is not a hotel you would give a lot of stars to in TripAdvisor.
1: No, it is. that is it's correct.
0: It's run down, dishevelled, Yeah. it has uh, a sort of insalubrious in side of, uh, of it, which is the Nevada side, so it straddles Nevada mm-hmm. and California. And it's interesting. Good cast of characters. Great cast of
1: characters. So you've got, um, Jeff Bridges as a mysterious, let's say, preacher. Dakota Johnson, who turns up with a secret in the trunk of her car. Um, I won't say any more than that, but you can read it in most of the reviews. Yeah. Um, you've got John Hamm, who seems like a very nice guy. He's going around, he's shaking hands, he's handing out business yeah. cards. He's so a Hoover salesman. He's a Hoover salesman. So you know there's something going on there. That's not right. Uh, and in the middle of it all, you have Cynthia Rivo. This was, I think, her second film that she made after Widows. Um, I have a massive girl crush on her. I think she's amazing. <laughs> I saw her in The Colour Purple uh, a few years ago, and it's one of the most really? astonishing theatre experiences I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Do this? She was in the Monear Chocolate Factory, a, 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 a theatre about the size of this studio down the road in London. And it's, it's, she gave an incredible performance. They took that to Broadway. She won a Grammy, an Emmy, and a Tony for her Broadway performance. She just needs the Oscar to Egot and honestly I think it's just a matter of time I think she's astonishing Um, probably not for this one probably not for this one it's not that kind of film just to Mm. reassure you yes but she is um, a young singer she's working in Reno and this is the cheapest place she can find to stay she's probably the most sympathetic character by quite a long way I think I'd quibble with that oh really yeah okay
0: Uh, I think think Jeff Bridges is legitimately great in this film and I think his character is very sympathetic
1: that's not unfair either that's Mm. fair Um, So yeah, so really, um, really atmospheric, um, really stylish. I mean, just Mm. beautiful looking film. It's Mm. really, really gorgeous. Uh, I had some issues with the plot as it unfolded uh, Mm -hmm. towards the end, Mm -hmm. some of which will be spoilers and I won't get into, but I will say that I think there's a lot of characters and the the sort of denouement of all of this skullduggery is not quite as satisfying as I wanted it to be. But I had so much fun along the way that I didn't entirely mind that.
0: I would agree. Uh, I think this is a fine film. I think it has some outstanding passages. I think yeah. it has some incredible performances and uh, we talk about Oscar kind of almost semi-mockingly in terms of this but honestly, if Bridges Bridges is good enough in this to get the best supporting actor Norman. and it will never happen. It will mm-hmm. never happen but his his character, his arc is the sort of thing that usually, you know, it's like one of those wild cards Turns as uh, sometimes turns up in the academy. will throw it a bone, you know, like a Marissa Tomei and my cousin Finney, or a, mm. a Tommy yeah. Lee Jones and The Fugitive, something like that, because he's really good in this. And so is Cynthia Revo. But there's something about Bridges as he gets older and he has the weight of, of that age as well but also all the other roles he's played in his past that, that just that's just brought to bear in this role I thought he was absolutely terrific I think everyone's really good and his Ham is good Hem- Chris Hemsworth as yeah. we've seen in, in the trailer uh, is is very very good when you know he bothers to show up and <laughs> not saying that he was you know <laughs> he was obviously just I'm sure he was there abs. every day he was there every day yeah. yeah but you know the, the script calls for him to show up not immediately that's, yeah. just put it that way and uh, yeah but I also feel that You're you're firmly in Tarantino territory here, Mm. and if you're going to play in this sandbox, then you need to really bring your A game in terms of the dialogue and in terms of the characters. And I'm not entirely sure that Drew Goddard, who's a very very talented writer and director, I'm not sure that he quite brought his A game here. And there's some really interesting strands that are unresolved in a weird way. And Mm -hmm. again, without getting the spoilers. I don't know that he makes that much of the central premise which is you have a hotel that straddles two states and I was waiting for something really clever to be done with that and I'm still waiting <laughs> but it is good fun it has a good soundtrack uh, a lot of it is performed by Cynthia Erivo herself no she bad has thing. a voice for the ages uh, and it has a, a lot of really really nice touches to it so, I liked it a lot. Uh, we liked it a lot as well. Four stars then for bad times at the El Royale. Or should I say, good times uh-huh. at the El Royale. See what it did there? No, See? Radio DJ it. says four stars <laughs> for good times at the El Royale. Very, very quickly then, we're going to talk very briefly by 22 July, which is the latest Paul Greengrass film. Uh, obviously, we discussed it in that interview with, with Greengrass. We gave this three stars, mm-hmm. which, I, I'll be honest, surprised me a little bit. Inferior is a brilliant reviewer and he knows this stuff. And so very hard to quibble, but I would have gone four with this one. This is a really interesting film, uh, obviously a depressingly, shockingly relevant film as well. And unlike Paul Greengrass's previous films that, that study disasters and crises, he spends time in the aftermath here. So the first half of this movie does take you through in detail how Breivik carried out this atrocity, this mass killing, first of all in Oslo and then he moved to an island where he butchered teenagers and it's horrible to watch, absolutely horrible to watch. Second half of the film follows one of the survivors as he tries to recover Psychologically and physically, but also how Norway tries to recover yeah. psychologically as well. And there's an interesting debate in the movie as well because Breivik, who of course gave himself up, wanted to take the stand and use that to espouse his alt right theories, which in 2011 seemed like the rantings of a madman. And today they Still seem, seem to like be, the rantings, rantings of a, of mad a madman man, to, 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 to yeah. right thinking people, but uh, are rapidly becoming mainstream rhetoric mm. and so this this film talks about should people like that have a platform what damage does that cause if they're given a platform but a democracy can't stop people from talking surely if they want to have a platform especially in a in a court of law so it's a really interesting really complex uh, discussion as well I think this is really really powerful stuff and Greengrass I think it's very, very easy to underestimate Paul Greengrass and take it for granted. He is brilliant. And the depth of feeling uh, on display here is palpable and really impressive because I think he can also be accused of being a very cold filmmaker, Greengrass, but uh, I didn't really find that here as well. This is a a shocking and very, very important film. It is on Netflix. So check it out on Netflix. We gave it three stars. I'd go one extra, but uh, check it out this weekend. It's two and a half hours long. Very, very quickly, that's what I wanted to say about a bad times the El Royale. Yeah. I think it's half an hour too long. It's two and a half hours. I agree with that. Uh, but this one this one feels like it needs it, but bad times yeah. maybe not so much. Other films are out this weekend that we're not well, we haven't seen or aren't going to be able to get round to talking about in great detail. We have Mandy, the absolutely batshit insane Nicolas Cage movie that involves chainsaw fights and a quest for vengeance and lots of blood and all sorts of stuff. Uh, We gave that four stars and the director of that, Panos Cosmatis, will be on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. So check that one out as well. What else is out? We have the Channing Tatum and James Corden animated film uh, Smallfoot.
1: Ah, yes, that's the one where Zendaya is Michi.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, We gave this four stars. I have to say the trailer made it look like a lot of fun. So...
1: I mean and Zendaya's is Michi, so that's yeah. that's gonna be pretty pretty great.
0: Sounds good. And uh also on Netflix this week I wanna give a shout out to the Haunting of Hill House, which is a TV Ooh. show. Ten episodes. It is terrifying. Ooh. Henry Thomas was on last week to talk about that. It is really worth your time if you fancy a binge watch and you're you've caught up with the Great British menu. Uh check that one out. And Gareth Evans, Apostle, also hits Netflix this week he was meant to come in this week to be on a podcast special we couldn't quite make that work there were some scheduling issues but we're going to bring him in at some point we're going to do a kind of a spoilerificy thing so check that out the official Empire review isn't up yet that'll be up by the time this podcast is up tomorrow so check that one out um, anything else any others any other points of business I think that's it that's it that is it for this week's Empire podcast join us next week for more film-related fun where we will be joined by you'll like this Helen Ooh. Gerard Butler, oh. star of Hunter Killer, Jerry when B's is. back in the house, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, amazing star of Halloween. Yeah, this Halloween, not this, the. This.
1: Well, she's also a star of star the of both other Halloweens. Halloween, yeah, and three and other. And she's a, a star. She's just a, a star. Halloween,
0: so she's amazing. She is amazing. So, Jerry Butler and Jamie Lee Curtis on the podcast. Also, do keep them peeled. On Monday, we're going to have a very, very special podcast with Peter Jackson director of the World War I documentary Lay Shall Not Grow Old and some other movies as well I think he's I made some stuff I don't in know the, in the past. anybody would
1: have heard of those
0: but uh, yeah that's a very interesting and uh, fun interview with Peter Jackson so keep him peel for that but until that auspicious occasion it is goodbye from oh wait it's only me, it's only me and you <laughs> goodbye it's goodbye from Helena Hara <laughs> and, and it's goodbye from me I am off to work even harder on my rock hard tasty abs
1: Bing. I mean, is it even possible? Bang,
0: bang, bang! <laughs> See, I can play "Eye of the Tiger" on them.
1: <laughs> bang, bang, bang! Is it possible you think abs bing, are like bang, bang, or like banjo strings?
0: Wait a second! That's where I've been going wrong. See you next week. Bye.